There's not a lot of guarantees in life. There's not a lot of things that all of us share in common. There's some things that we share in common. I mean, pretty much everybody, you could almost say it's universal, but I mean, almost everybody doesn't like nuts in anything, which is understandable. I mean, if we didn't have Snickers, we could declare this morning that we could just get rid of nuts. But there are some things that we all hold in common together. So, so for example, this morning, raise your hand if you've had water in the last month. Good, good. Raise your hand if you've had food in the last month. Okay, raise your hand if you have too much food in the last month. Okay, we've got good honesty going on this morning. Raise your hand if you've slept in the last month. Raise your hand if you paid taxes in the last month. Why is there grumbling? Now, raise your hand if someone has wronged you or offended you in the last month. There are some things that we all share in common. Eating, sleeping, taxes, and then finally, every one of us at some point has been wronged or offended. It's a guarantee. If you're a living being this morning, someone has done something to you or left something undone or did something to someone else that ended up wronging you or offended you. It's not a matter of if, it's only a matter of when and how often. Every single one of us has been wronged or offended. So since the question is not if, it's going to happen. The question is, what am I going to do when it happens? What am I going to do when somebody offends me or wrongs me? The question we're going to wrestle with this morning is, will I do what God has done? Will I do what God has done? We hear some very interesting words from Jesus this morning, maybe one of Jesus' most difficult messages to humanity. He tells it in the form of a story, but before he goes into the story, he lays out and he kind of responds to the question of one of his disciples and basically says to his disciples, hey, it's not a matter of how many times you're going to forgive people, it's that you should be in a constant state of forgiveness. Peter asks a question of Jesus that probably is on all of our minds at some point. Well, how many times do I have to forgive them if they keep doing the same thing to me? Legitimate question, right? I mean, we want some boundaries. Boundaries are healthy. We need kind of a, a marker set up of where, where we know to draw the line. So Peter asks Jesus, where do we draw the line? Where's enough enough? Jesus responds by, by giving him kind of this cryptic response. I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Oh, well, okay, so Jesus is drawing the line. Or is Jesus drawing the line? You see, we have to understand what Jesus is saying here and how the people would have heard this 77. Jesus is not saying 77 is the magic number. Jesus is saying you need to be in a continual state of forgiveness rather than a state of vengeance. You see, when they heard this, the Jews heard this teaching. Those who knew their Old Testament heard this teaching. They heard that 77, sevenfold. Uh-oh, something just clicked. 
Go back in your Bible, if you have it with me, to Genesis chapter 4 this morning. In Genesis chapter 4, we've got a famous story that a lot of people know, Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel are children of Adam and Eve, have a little family issue, a little squabble going on, gets to the most serious of nature. What happens? Cain kills his brother Abel. Okay, not good. After Cain kills his brother Abel, Cain recognizes and basically has the fear of God put, in, put into him. We're looking here in Genesis chapter 4, verse 10. The Lord says to Cain, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord shall put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. So here's the first seven, sevenfold. So Cain is scared to go anywhere to die, but the Lord promises if anyone attacks you, they're going to have my vengeance sevenfold. Now we go down a couple of generations. Cain has children. Children have children. Now look down to all of these weird names, and I'm not going to pronounce them. Verse 18. So Enoch had born Irad, all these people, M, 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 and M, and M, and M, father, and says, finally fathered Lamech. Lamech took two wives. Could have a whole sermon right there. Don't know what that guy was thinking. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. So takes two wives, all of a sudden he's got all sorts of problems at some point. Now go down with me a little bit further. Verse 23, Lamech said to his wives, Hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. In other words, vengeance is going to pour out, not for one generation, but for all generations to come, for anyone who does anything against Lamech. In other words, they were in a state of vengeance. And so when Jesus says to Peter, whoa, 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 if anyone wrongs you, it's not a matter of forgiving them seven times. Right there, right there, he's returning. He's turning over the curse of God. So God had sevenfold curse on Cain. Jesus right there is saying, the curse is gone. I bring forgiveness for that. It's not just that, but now it's what? The Lamech curse in vengeance is gone. Jesus says, now you are in a state, a generation of forgiveness. This isn't a number. This is generational, a whole being of being in a state of extending forgiveness. In other words, Jesus says, as many times as they harm, as many times as they offend, you're going to forgive because you are now in a state of forgiveness. It's no longer vengeance is being poured out in a response to the wrongdoing, but forgiveness is being poured out. 
Jesus reveals the desire of God and the design of the kingdom of God to Peter and all of humanity in this story this morning in Matthew chapter 18. That God desires for forgiveness to be dispensed continually from his people when wronged or offended. And so this morning, when we think about when we're going to be offended, Jesus has made it clear that he wants forgiveness dispensed when we are wronged. Now, that is a lot easier said than done. And so Jesus goes in to tell a story then of saying to Peter, Hey, Peter, when this happens, keep this in mind. And so he tells a story about someone who owes the king a lot and 10,000 talents. This person owes the king 10,000 talents. Now, 10,000 talents, if you do calculation, the base calculation of that, generally speaking, is about $6 billion. So obviously a little bit of debt. You know, a couple of years on a pastor's salary, that'll be taken care of. Not a big deal. I mean, $6 billion, you're not going to pay that off overnight. And what does the king do? The king forgives the debt. Forgive. What, what do you mean forgives the debt? Releases the individual from paying the debt. They're released from having to make that debt payment. And now that person leaves and Jesus says, now, now watch what the person does. He's been released of the $6 billion in debt. Now where does he go? He goes out to find someone that owes him money. And they're no longer talking in the term of talents. They're talking in the term, oh, 100 denarii. In other words, maybe a couple of day wages. No one really totally know. Versus six billion, what does the man want? He wants it paid right now. And God uses, the, Jesus uses the story to say, hey, hey, do you see a little problem here? That he had just received this cancellation, and now he's going and what? Doing the, not just opposite, but opposite on steroids of what he just received. So Jesus says, what you just saw in this little imagery story, guess what? That's the exact same thing that happens to you when you go out and don't extend to others what God has extended to you. Look at the end of what Jesus says at the end of the parable. Verse 35, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Jesus is using this story to give a visual representation of what God does, what takes place to God's people when God's people don't live out the design of God. This is, I would contend, this goes right to the top of the list of one of those statements from Jesus that should cause us to tremble. Because it's not just here. It's not like, well, it's a parable, so, you know, maybe Jesus didn't fully mean it. He was kind of telling a story. But now take it, go one step further. Jesus taught us how to pray in what many refer to as the Lord's Prayer. And many of you have said the Lord's Prayer many times. And right in the center of that Lord's Prayer is the same exact teaching. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Jesus put as in there as he does here. Because he's teaching that our forgiveness to others is a reflection of the forgiveness we've received from God. 
The whole basis of this, now the basis of this, of the guy going and extending forgiveness is what? Don't go out and forgive so then you can come back and be forgiven. It's what? Go out and forgive because you've been forgiven. In other words, Jesus is saying, forgiven people will forgive. So when you and I are hurt or offended, God has designed us, God has worked in us and through us that we would extend to others what God has first extended to us. A difficult teaching. So how can we live out this teaching of extending forgiveness to others? Two two things we have to keep in mind as we think about living out this teaching. First is this. We have to live in God's forgiveness. This is the, the whole basis of the teaching of giving forgiveness is that what? We are forgiven. So the first thing we have to do is this. we got to live in God's forgiveness towards us. So many of us, so many of you, you know what? You're living like you're on probation. We treat God's forgiveness like probation. Like, well, God, God's forgiven, but you know, now you got to work on some things. And, and then when you work on some things, you get to a certain point, you're fully forgiven. I see this in Christians all the time. Oh, Pastor, I'm not quite ready yet. Just haven't, haven't quite overcome that stuff yet. God can't quite use me. Okay, Peter disappears from Jesus at Jesus' most important moment. Jesus is going to the cross, and what do the disciples do? They run. They flee. They, only, they not just flee, but they openly what? Well, I, I don't know him. I don't know him. Not just once, three times. I don't know him. You must be thinking about somebody else. I don't know him. Okay, they, they left Jesus at his, the moment that Jesus needed him the most. And what happens to those individuals? Jesus comes back to Peter and says what? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. He doesn't say, hey, we're going to do about a seven-year increment here, and we're going to kind of see for the next seven years, are you going to remain faithful when it gets a little bit rough? And after the seven years, if you remain faithful, you know what? I'm going to give you some authority. I'm going to give you some management. What does he do to Peter right away? He gives him the top management position in the biggest movement that's ever affected the world, the church. Peter Peter is the first apostle put in charge. There's been no movement in history that's ever affected as many places for as many generations as the Church of Jesus Christ. And who was put in charge of it the first go-around? The one who had left their leader when their leader needed them the most. There was no probation for Peter. And there's no probation for you and I. It's time to say, I'm forgiven. I've made a mistake, made multiple mistakes, but guess what? I'm going to step in to the forgiveness. I'm going to live in God's forgiveness. So I've got forgiveness to extend to others. Someone hurts and wrongs us. I know, I've heard this multiple times. I just don't know if I have it in me to forgive you, forgive them. That's true. You don't have it in you to forgive them. Very good. That's good Bible knowledge. Guess what? God's not asking you to forgive them with what you have in them, in yourself. God's asking you to forgive them with what God has given to you. Because God forgave you. 
God's forgiveness of you did not come from yourself. It came from God. So you don't have it within you. You've received it from God. Are you going to pass it on to others? The very first thing we have to do is we have to live in God's forgiveness. Romans 8 verse 1 says, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, there is no guilt, there is no penalty for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are not on probation. This is not a wait and see thing. Forgiveness is extended. It is granted. You are freed and released from penalty. Now, live in it and act like you are forgiven. If we're going to extend forgiveness to others, we have to live in God's forgiveness. And living in God's forgiveness gives us empathy towards those who hurt or harm us. This is critical. Living in God's forgiveness gives us empathy towards those who harm us. This is the central difference between Christian forgiveness and popular psychology forgiveness, which is taught and really encouraged. Why is it encouraged? Because doctors have come to the conclusion themselves that not extending forgiveness, that being bitter, actually makes you physically unhealthy. It actually does stuff to you. That's why psychologists who don't even believe in a higher being, what do they want people to do? To extend forgiveness because they know what? It affects the whole being of the person. But why is it so hard for them to get it done? It's so hard because there's no empathy from a person with no faith. Because when you're wronged, when somebody wrongs you, what is it like? How could they do that? How could you do that to me? That's your mindset, right? How dare they say that about me? I can't believe they wouldn't do that for me. That's not empathy at all, but what do you need in order to help someone? You need empathy. Now, living in God's forgiveness gives you empathy because this. You say, well, how dare they do that to me? You know what? You can go, hmm, how dare I did that to God and worse. I can understand how they would do that to me because I've done that to someone who actually loves and cares me for me more than I love and care for them. So living in God's forgiveness allows us actually to empathize with those who do wrong to us. And you're well, Pastor, whoa, whoa, whoa. Pastor, settle down a little bit. I've never done anything like that to God. Oh. Bible describes what you and I have done to God is worthy of the wrath of God, of the worst type of punishment, death in eternal torment. That's how the Bible describes the wrong that you and I have done towards God. And so someone wrongs you, it doesn't stand in comparison to how we have wronged God. Living in God's forgiveness allows us to extend something to others. Forgiveness. Living in God's forgiveness allows us to empathize with those who wrong us. It's the number one step we have to take of living out the design for the kingdom of God, that we extend forgiveness, is we've got to live in God's forgiveness. You're not on probation any longer. Second thing we have to do if we're going to 
live out the teaching of Jesus Christ is, I don't know any other way to say this, is this. Deal with it head on. Minnesota, South Dakota, North Dakota, I think we should get an award for passive-aggressive behavior. Forget being known for Minnesota nice. It's like passive-aggressive central right here. This is it, right? Anybody have this at their family gatherings? This is all over the place. Folks, 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 if we're going to live out the teaching of Jesus Christ, we've got to deal with it head on. A couple months ago, as some of you know, we did some construction at our house, and so tore out this old ceiling and put actually sheetrock up there, and that dust just goes everywhere. And so dust had kind of gone on the windows that are alongside the dining, dining room, and one of the windows has got a screen in it. And obviously, we cleaned after it was all done, but the screen, just constant dust in it. And it's just like it won't go away vacuum hose won't go away and like it's horrible it's actually bad to the point where our small group that comes on Thursday nights they don't even listen to Bible study they're just staring at the screen like how dare these people not even clean off this dust funny how our neighbors I'm like hey we got to get this off so my neighbors are like I'm like oh there's got to be ways so I asked my neighbors like you have one of those brush things you put on the end of your vacuum so they, they drop off a brush right neighbors they just drop off the brush they don't even offer to come in and help us figure out how to use the brush. So here I'm like, the brush doesn't even fit on our vacuum. I'm like, hey, it doesn't work. So then what do they do? They drop off a second brush. And they don't even come in again and see if the brush will fit this time. And what? It's like, ah, oh, still not coming. So I put the brush on the vacuum hose, and it's like, it's kind of wiggly. I'm like, well, at least it's on there. So it's wiggling back and forth. But the dust is still on the screen. Thinking to myself, how dare these neighbors borrow us a brush that doesn't get rid of the dust? How dare these small group members show up and stare at the dust and don't even offer to help clean it up? Nobody's cleaning up the dust. And then yesterday, text message, how's the brush working? Well, not very well. Do you think you could come over? Well, I'm pretty busy over here. <laughs> wow. How's this dust ever going to be gone? Well, I thought for sure wiping the screen down would get rid of the dust. I thought for sure letting some fine Christians see that we had a dirty screen would lead them to removing the screen and cleaning it for us. Didn't happen. I thought some fine Christian neighbors would at least come over and offer, show us how to use this beautiful vacuum to clean out the dust. Didn't happen. Wow, three weeks and the dust is still there. So finally, what did I do yesterday? Took off the screen and used the hose. Wow, that worked well. Guess how long it took? About six minutes. Unbelievable. Who would have thunk? Attack it head on. Remove the screen and wash it out. Oh, what a concept. Actually deal with something. What if we actually did this in our day-to-day -day lives? Well, Aunt Betty's going to take care of that. Aunt Betty said they were going to talk to him after the last Thanksgiving dinner. Oh, well, uh, Uncle, uh, Uncle Fred said that they're going to make it so we don't have to sit next to each other next time. Well, uh, my boss, 
my boss was going to go and talk to them and, and tell them that they needed to come and apologize. I just can't believe they haven't gotten it done yet. Somebody else, somebody else, somebody else. Jesus didn't say to Peter, well, send your friend to forgive them 77 times. If we're going to live out the teaching of Jesus Christ, what do we got to do? We got to deal with it head on. Now, very simply and practically, this is where a lot of people get caught up. So let me give you two things really quickly to think about very practically this. Someone wrongs you or offends you. This is not the time for a novel. This is not the time for a seven-minute, memorized, single-space speech. Okay? You're going to go and talk to them? Succinct and clear. Succinct and clear. I want to let you know, the words you used against me last weekend were really hurtful and really affected the way I viewed myself and viewed you. Okay, hey, done. Done. You don't need to go into it. Do you realize how bad that was? Do you know how much damage you're doing right now with your words? Have you come to recognize how bad this is? Okay, your job is not the guilt police. Your job is not to get them to a place where they feel guilty enough to say, I'm sorry. That's out of your control. And if, it's in, think, if, you, think it's in your, if you think it's within your control, you've got to come back for another sermon a different day. It, just let it go. Your job is to extend forgiveness succinctly and clearly. And guess what? They may not even agree with your succinctness and clearness. They might be like, those words weren't that bad. Guess what? Leave it there. Leave it there. Succinctly and clearly. And then what? I forgive you. Don't worry about this. Let's move forward. Succinctly and clearly. And it's out of your control, the feelings or the response of the other person. Out of your control. Let's say that together. It's out of my control. Say that again. It's out of my control. And guess what? God's not sitting up there like, oh my goodness, they're not sorry. Get back over there and do something about that. God's not disappointed in you by their response. So many of us Christian do-gooders, we take it on our own shoulders, the response of others. Stop that. Live in the forgiveness of God and find your confidence and your contentment and your joy from the fact of what God has done to you, not others around you. It's a no-win game. It's time to step into God's forgiveness. It's time to deal with it head on and live out the kingdom calling that God has for us to extend to others what God has extended to us, forgiveness. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. And what's at stake? What's at stake with this teaching of Jesus Christ? I can't emphasize this enough. Do you know what's at stake? Life is at stake. Let's look at a couple of things that are at stake with this issue of forgiveness. Number one, do you know what's at stake? Your joy is at stake. 
That's right. That's fine. I'm going to be selfish today. Your joy is at stake. Find me a bitter, resentful, joyful person. Right? That doesn't happen. Your joy is at stake. You want to be happy? Free yourself from the jail you're in. And catch this. This is how crazy this is. Someone wrongs you, then they own you. How crazy is that? They've wronged you, and then they own you. They own you. Why? Because now you're in jail with bitter and resentment towards them. So now the very person who shouldn't have any control over you at all because of the way they're treating you, what? Has full control over you. Your joy is at stake without extending forgiveness. You know what else is at stake? Relationship is at stake. Now, hear me very carefully on this. The command is to forgive. It doesn't always mean that there's going to be a relationship. Okay, this is so important to understand. It, God is not disappointed in you if you can't enter back into a relationship because sometimes entering back into a relationship, you know what it does? It perpetuates sinful behavior that's dishonoring to God. God doesn't want you in that relationship. There's no guilt at all for leaving that relationship. That relationship may not be restored, and you're not responsible for it. But here's the crazy part. So, so, so relationship is at stake if you don't for extend forgiveness because bitterness and resentment just doesn't affect the relationship with the one who's hurt you and offended you. But guess what? It extends out to other relationships. Anybody ever done sheetrock work and was able to keep the dust just to that piece of sheetrock? It doesn't work. It does not work at all. Bitterness and resentment just doesn't like, well, I'm only going to affect this one relationship right here. It affects how you view people all around you and interact with people all around you. Ask somebody how joyful you're to be around when you're bitter. Your joy is at stake. Relationships are at stake. But there's a whole lot more than that that's at stake. The church of Jesus Christ is at stake. You know the number one issue that ends up bringing a church down? It's not the Bible. It's not the quality of the preacher. It's not the quality of the musicians. Number one issue, forgiveness. You know what happens in a church? You get a bunch of porcupines living together. And what's going to happen if you're a healthy church? You're going to spend time together. So what's going to happen? You're going to poke each other a little bit. What happens after you poke? Bitterness, resentment. And the question is, is that going to take root and run the day? Or will forgiveness be extended? There's a lot at stake. About six years ago, I went and uh, officiated a funeral up by Pipestone, Minnesota, a small rural 
country church, about 100, 115 people at that time. Went and officiated this funeral of a farmer that I had come to know over the years. Farmer was an amazing, generous individual that had just set up an amazing, interesting situation of where this church did a ton of work all around the world. At that funeral, over on the behind the family, there was a row of six pastors. Behind the six pastors was nine missionaries. Behind the nine missionaries, 17 orphans. Those six pastors, nine missionaries, all those orphans were the fruit of that church. Were the fruit, a lot, of that farmer who we were laying to rest. Nine people from around the world had traveled back for this funeral. And of those nine missionary families, they had adopted all of those orphans from 11 different countries. All had come out of this one church where what? These six pastors had come from. So this one church was responsible for sending out six people who would become six pastors, not including myself. I didn't come from this church, but they paid for parts of my seminary as well. So I'd be seven. And from those six came the nine missionaries. From the nine missionaries came the orphans all around the world. You want to talk impact. That was impact. Anyhow, I spent a lot of time with this farmer. And before he passed away, I remember spending the time with him the week before he passed away. And he was so excited. He was so proud of himself. Because he had all of these people, made a lot of money in life. He had a lot of people coming to his door at the end of his life, all these big fundraising guys that set up all this planned giving stuff and all this trust stuff. And he was so proud of himself. He said, I'm not doing any of it. I'm not doing any of it all. And he's so proud. Rich, he says, we've come to this point. We don't have to do it. Well, this is awesome. Family is all in. I'm not setting up any rules because I don't want any fake, fake giving. I don't want any giving going on. I want it all just to be from the heart of my family. And so for the last year, he had let his family manage. And he said to his his sons, hey, do whatever you want with the money. Do whatever you want with all of the farm stuff. And what did they do that year? They gave more away than the farmer had given away in the previous year. And he was so proud. He was so proud. He was like, this is awesome. Like, this is going to go on for years and years. This is awesome. Laid him to rest, and it was an amazing service, an amazing time of, of celebration. A couple of years later, I had stayed in touch with the wife. Right after the husband had passed away, the wife's health just went, you know, really quickly. That happens a lot. The wife's health depreciated fast, so they moved her in, into a nursing home really quickly. Go visit her every once in a while. About two years later, she passed away. Family called and said, hey, can you come up and officiate the funeral again? I said, that'd be awesome. Absolutely. Do anything for your family. Be up there. Go up and officiate, officiate the funeral. Funeral. Go through the whole funeral. Get done with the funeral. Get done kind of hanging down in the basement of the church. And there's all these cakes and all these open face sandwiches. You know how all that stuff, good stuff is. Get done. There's one gentleman in the basement of the church cleaning up all of the tables, putting away all the sandwiches. And I said, I just kind of jokingly said to him, I'm like, where's the funeral committee? He's like, we don't have a funeral committee anymore. I'm like, we don't have a funeral committee anymore. I'm like, what's going on? And he's like, haven't you heard? I'm like, no, what's going on? He's like, 
Oh, there was 11 people in church this last Sunday. 11 people? What? Like, yeah, 11 people. What's going on? Long story short, shortly after the individual had died, they had this big, this big groundbreaking for something else, dedication ceremony, and they had this plaque that was built. This plaque that was built that was put next to this bell thing. Somebody's name was left off of this plaque. Family name was left off of the plaque of this farmer who had, I had buried before that time. Name was left off the plaque. Mother was in the nursing home already, so wasn't able to come to church anymore. Children got offended that the name was left off the plaque. Never came back to church again after the name was left off the plaque. <laughs> what? Are you serious? Yeah, I said, well, I said, what, ha- what happened about, um, you know, the missionaries and the dead? And I said, he said, not another dime. Nothing's gone to the seminary support thing. It's empty, and nothing's gone to the missionaries anymore. What? What? Do you know what was lost? Do you know what was lost? Here's the crazy part of the whole deal. The grandfather had told me long, long ago, don't put my name on anything. had followed his wish. And the family was offended. It's not dollars and cents that were at stake as a result of that. There were no more orphans at that next funeral. There were no more missionaries at the next funeral. Do you know what all of that stemmed from? Not bad preaching. Not bad music. That stemmed from bitterness and resentment. Do you know what's at stake? If we don't extend to others what God has extended to us, people are at stake. Your neighbor is at stake. Your aunt is at stake. Because bitterness and resentment take root, and what does it do? It ruins relationships. And relationship is ruined, and then people are ruined. So Jesus is not just saying, hey, it says in my rule book somewhere, forgive others. No, 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 no. Jesus is saying, I forgave you. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgiveness isn't a rule found in the rule book. Forgiveness is the God we serve. Every Christian that's gathered in here this morning, you've got two things in common. Number one is you're forgiven. You can't be a Christian unless you're forgiven. It's the entrance into Christianity. And if you're a Christian this morning, guess what the next thing is that we have in common? Someone's going to wrong you. Someone's going to offend you. The question is, are we going to have three things in common? Are we going to be forgiven sinners who are sinned against, who extend forgiveness? Are we going to be forgiven sinners who are sinned against, who extend forgiveness? God's glory is at stake. Open your Bibles with me to the book of Proverbs chapter 19. Proverbs 19. 
Proverbs 19. Proverbs 19, verse 11. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. And it is his glory to overlook an offense. Okay, okay, it's a long sermon in 30 seconds. We started this whole people series by saying what? People are created in the image of God. They're bestowed with the glory of God. Right? That our clothing, our nature is the glory of God and it's to reflect the glory of the Lord around around us. So it says, it is his glory to overlook an offense. Guess what? When we overlook an offense, what happens? That's That's the garment, that's the greatness, that's the magnitude of what people see and what is that? That's the glory of God. The greatness of an individual is what this proverb is saying, is seen when you're willing to overlook an offense. But guess what? What is our greatness? Our greatness is the glory of God. And if you're unwilling to extend forgiveness, guess what? The glory of God is minimized. But when we extend forgiveness, overlook an offense, guess what? It is our glory, which is God's glory, that is made known. What's at stake is the glory of God of God because God's glory is made known when God's people extend to others the same forgiveness that God has extended to us and so let you and I go out and display our glory which is displaying the glory of God by extending forgiveness to others let us pray forgiving God We come before you asking for renewal of our hearts today. God, asking that you would renew us with your forgiveness once again. And you'd give us the supernatural ability through your Holy Spirit to extend that forgiveness to others. And so this morning, God, I want to pray for anyone here who has been hurt, anyone here who has been offended in this church or in their work, Or over the last week, God, I pray that you would empower and allow us to extend that forgiveness. God, I pray that you would remind us of the forgiveness you've given to us and energize us to extend that out. Lord, we praise you and thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you that you have saved us and made us and renewed us. And now we ask that your glory would be shown through us as we seek to forgive others as we have been forgiven. God, we praise you. We give you all of the thanks, all of the praise for any forgiveness that's given, any forgiveness that's received. Forgive us, God, for times we have not been forgiven. In Jesus' name, amen.